Luke 18, uh, verse 1. So then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, he said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time, he refused. But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So um, in our youth group, in Hashtag Bants, uh, our young people get a bit fed up of me every week doing this thing where we say, um, on a scale of one to 10, um, <laughs> right, how, whatever, okay, so I'm afraid I'm gonna inflict you this morning with this, right? So on a scale of one to 10, where, where one is that you are super patient, okay? You're, you're incredibly patient. You could wait forever for something. You don't mind if it happens, one day in the future, you're just laid back, it's fine. And 10 is that you are incredibly impatient. You are jumping up and down. If it didn't happen yesterday, that's not good enough as far as you're concerned, all right? Um, on a scale of one to 10, let's, let's have a show of hands. Let me just run through. I'll put your hand up when I get to your number. Very, very patient, one, impatient, 10. One, anyone? Very patient. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, two. two. Well, James, two, three, four. Okay, three, four. Right, quite patient people here. Five, six, seven, eight. Uh, okay, nine, <laughs> ten. Oh, oh, Barbara wins. Barbara is the least patient person in the room. And the most patient person in the room is James. How about that? Okay, we're gonna to have to test this out later on. We'll, we'll do something to test everybody's uh, level of... <laughs> Sorry? Ah, okay, it's <laughs> to do with your job. Yeah. Um, let's try working at the Vine for 30 years. <laughs> um, so, in, in the preceding chapter to the one that I've just read to you, uh, in Luke 17, Joshua dealt with this last week. There's this kind of tension there about waiting for the kingdom to come, and yet the kingdom is already here, but there's a future aspect to the fullness of the kingdom. The Son of Man will be revealed. There's more to come. So what do we do whilst we're waiting uh, and we're not just to get distracted staring into the sky, um, but we're to, we're to get on and build and so on. But there's this whole dynamic of the now and the not yet. What do we do while we're waiting for things to still be fulfilled that God has promised and that we long for? And 
Of course, those words were said by Jesus in AD 29-ish, and they, a few decades on, are still waiting when Luke writes this epistle, uh, uh, um, um, uh, epistle, sorry, um, gospel, and they're still waiting, they're still waiting for uh, God to, to do more. And it, and it begs the question, how do we handle things when we're waiting for things? And we need to bear in mind also that this community that were receiving this gospel from Luke um, had seen just a few decades earlier at the time of the book of Acts, a massive revival, amazing things had happened back then. There'd been this revival, the Holy Spirit had been poured out at Pentecost, thousands were swept into the kingdom, people were being baptised, churches were being planted all over the Roman Empire, and there was massive revival going on. Now, a few decades on, and it's a little bit different. Things aren't quite so exciting and fresh, and, and um, it, there's persecution, and, and they have to keep going, and they have to keep serving, and keep building the church, and keep praying, and it's kind of just, you know, a little bit plodding through, waiting for the kingdom, the more of the kingdom that is yet to come. And, and we can be like that. You know, we can think of the heady days. Um, I was talking to, to actually Sue and Barbara earlier on about back in the 80s when there, when, when there were church meetings and, and it was all fresh. It was all exciting. People were pressing into meetings. There was prayer meetings that people were thrown to. It was all kind of this whole thing was new and fresh. Um, and, then, and then sometimes you think, you know, now we're just kind of plodding away, we're serving, we're we're being faithful, but we want more, don't we? God has got more for, for us here in Fleet. This, this town is a really big town, and God, God wants his church to be on a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. He, I believe that he's got so much more for us to impact this community, to, to see our congregation grow, to see our, us affecting um, the needs within this community more and more. So we long for God to do more, don't we? We long for more people to be saved. We long for more people to be baptised, um, for more of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um, maybe in your own life, you're longing for things. You're longing for breakthrough in some area. Maybe in your finance or in, in your workplace or in your health. Or, or with your, your partner or, or your, wife, your husband or wife or your children or your grandchildren. You want God to do things. And, or maybe you look in the world and you look at the injustice and you long for the war to be over and you long for inflation to come down again and you long for eggs to be on the shelves again and you, and you long for you not to always be checking your heater, heating whenever you turn it on anymore. We long for things to happen, for, for there to be justice and God to break into our needy world. But it's not all happening, so what do we do whilst we're waiting for these things? And we're told in verse 1 here, in this parable, that Jesus told this parable so that we would always pray and not give up. It's the only time when we're actually told what the parable is about before the parable is told. That's quite unique here, that we're told. In case you're, you're going to not be sure, this parable is about how we should always pray and not give up. And I find that quite encouraging. Luke knew and Jesus knew that we would be tempted to give up, that it's a human te tendency to get discouraged, to get disheartened, to get disillusioned and to want to give up. 
And so he gives this parable, say no, come on, don't give up, keep praying. I'd say we can stop, uh, we can give up by maybe not attending as much as Janice read from uh, Hebrews today. Uh, we can give up by not uh, maybe going to things as much as we used to. But the other way we can give up is that we still go, we're still faithful, we're still uh, trusted God, yes, but, but actually we've kind of, something's died within us. So we've kind of given up in our heart in terms of expecting God to do new things and exciting things. And so we're not really coming, say, to church and thinking, God could just do anything here. God's going to speak to me as I'm listening to a sermon. God's going to meet with me while we're singing. And we can maybe just maybe go through the motions, get to a point where we're just carrying on going through the motions, which is good. We're being faithful. That's great. But maybe we're not expecting God to do new things in our home, in our family, in our community. Um, and maybe 2023, God's going to do great things. Maybe we, we can give up on those hopes. But we're encouraged not to give up. So here we have this parable. And it, on the face of it, it's quite a simple parable. But it's, I think, a wonderful story. You've got two characters. You've got a judge. Now, of course, judges are supposed to be impartial. They uh, honour the rule of law. They they show no fear or favour to anybody. Everybody gets a fair fair hearing if you're a good judge. But we're told about this judge that he neither fears God or cares for people. They have a fatal flaw for a judge, really, isn't it? You kind of think, how did he get that job? in the first place. Um, But he doesn't fear God. You need to be able to fear God if you're going to uh, know, if you're going to do a good job, because you need to know that you're accountable to another judge who will judge you for whether you uh, executed justice properly or not. He doesn't fear God, so he's not accountable. And furthermore, he doesn't care about people. He cares really just for himself. I mean, sure, if somebody can take him out on their yacht or take him out for a day on their golf course or or give them some money or if that person is well connected and can help them in their career, then sure, he will listen to their case and give them justice. Yeah, he'll do that because really he just cares about himself. It's tragic, isn't it, when you do see judges or politicians or leaders or bosses, um, church leaders who, who show partiality. Really, when it becomes in their interests to respond, they will respond, but really they're just doing it for themselves. They're not accountable. They don't really fear God. They don't really care about people. Once there's a clamour, uh, they will do something because suddenly they realise they're going to be rumbled and so they, and out they're going to jump and act uh, and turn it into a virtue suddenly. You know, we're, I'm acting uh, to, look, I'm looking after this person, I'm, I'm acting on this person, but really they're doing it because of, again, it's just self-interest. Well, this judge in particular is quite interesting because not only does he not fear God or care about people, but he's actually very aware, he's self-aware. He says to himself in verse four, even though I don't fear God or care about people. So this is quite unusual. He is aware of his, his heart. Um, I mean, Hitler and Stalin and, and maybe Putin would claim to love humanity. 
but they were completely deluded. But here, this guy just knows inside. Um, he might not admit it to everybody else, but he knows inside that he's just selfish and proud of it, really. And, and, and uh, that's the way he is. That's just his whole vibe. So that's the judge. And then we have a widow. And this widow is, of course, chosen as, as the most vulnerable person in society. She's lost her husband. And at that time, she would have had, therefore, no protector, no provider, and no prospects. And therefore, no leverage with a powerful person. She can't bribe him. She, can't, she has no clout. She has no voice. She has no power. She can't persuade because she's just powerless. I told in Malachi chapter 3 that God will be quick to testify against those who oppress widows and the fatherless and deprive them and aliens of justice and do not fear God. And we're told in Exodus 22 that we should not take advantage of a widow or an orphan. And if, they, if we do, then they will cry out and God will hear their cry. So here's this woman. She feels an injustice very keenly. She feels really strongly that she has been taken advantage of by somebody in some situation. And she wants justice. Give me justice. We were up in Liverpool uh, a few weeks ago and um, we went to this uh, museum of Liverpool and um, there was one little section where they were profiling the, the terrible disaster at Hillsborough. Uh, when I was at university in Sheffield, it was when that accident happened, when 96 people tragically died in that crush um, of the crowd. And, um, you know, they have been campaigning for decades, haven't they? Justice for the 96. Uh, and while we're at the museum, there's kind of justice for the 96. You know, we want justice. Give us justice. We're going to make so much noise. We're going to keep going because we want justice. And that's what this woman is doing. She has discovered that though she has no power in herself, she's discovered what every child has discovered, and perhaps even more so at Christmas, the power of pestering. Pester power. And here she is. She's discovered that pester power might help her to win um, her, a, hear, a fair hearing. It says in verse three that she kept coming to him. So repeatedly, she keeps coming to him at court, I guess. Um, but it's, the impression is that she's doing more than just going to courts regularly. It seems as if she's kind of just everywhere, wherever he goes, this poor guy. You know, maybe on the street, suddenly she's there giving justice. Um, with his colleagues in the market, she pops up suddenly. Maybe when he's at home, she's outside with a placard. Give me justice. You know, I, can, I don't know. But you know what I mean? She, is, she kept coming to him and asking for justice. And eventually, it says in verse four, he says to himself, I, even though I don't care about her or fear God, I, so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. Or the literal translation is actually, so that she won't beat me down or blacken my eye, is the actual phrase. It's she, so that she won't blacken my eye. I, I will, okay, I'll give her justice. And maybe blacken my eye kind of is to be taken literally that she's, he just ends up so tired with her that he's just getting shadows under his eyes. Or, or maybe it's more metaphorical that he's going to get embarrassed uh, by this. He's going to end up with a black eye 
because he's been shamed. You know, she's, it's like TripAdvisor. You can ruin a restaurant, can't you, by just saying, you know, the service was terrible. Um, and uh, here's, the, here's this point where he's going to, everybody's going to start knowing that I am a, a selfish judge who doesn't give justice to people. And so my reputation is stay, at stake. I'm going to get rumbled. Um, people are going to realise I'm not doing my job properly. So, uh, okay, right, I'll make a virtue of it. Look, I'm protecting a widow. Um, so he gives in to, and she wins, which is very... Uh, great story, isn't it? Now, what are the lessons that we're supposed to learn from this parable? And I think it'd be tempting for us to look at this parable and uh, assume that basically we're God's like the judge, we're like the widow, and we're supposed to behave like the widow towards the judge. Well, obviously, that's not the right way to read the parable because God is not like the judge, is he? He's really not. He is just uh, he is righteous. Uh, he is. Um, he, he cares for people. He's the opposite of the judge. He's totally just. Um, Tozer said this: When God acts justly, He is simply acting like Himself in every situation. Um, in Genesis chapter eighteen, Abraham is praying to God. And uh, God, Abraham says to God, far be it, Lord, for you to slay the righteous with the wicked. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? We can look back. There will come a day when we will look back and we will say the judge of all the earth did right. He never put a foot wrong. He never forgot. He never miscalculated. He was actually never unjust. And secondly, not only is he just, but he's also caring and compassionate. He cares for people. Moses had that revelation, do you remember, on the mountain of God. The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, bounding in love and faithfulness. So God is not like the judge. I'm going to suggest, though, that we are not like the widow. I mean, there is a sense, of course, in which we are like the widow. We are very aware of our vulnerability, aren't we? We're very aware of our powerlessness in one sense. But in another sense, we're not just like a random widow that has no relationship with the judge. It tells us in this passage, shall not he give justice to his elect, to his chosen ones? We are actually his people, his chosen ones, his children. So we are not powerless in our relationship with God. We do have a provider, we do have a protector, we do have prospects. And so when we come to God, we can be confident that he does care for us and that we are the apple of his eye. There's a wonderful passage in Deuteronomy chapter 32 where it says that God found his people in the desert and in the howling waste of the wilderness, he, encir we, he encircled 
his people. He cared for him. He guarded him as the apple of his eye. That's what God did. He found us in the wilderness. He, he took us as his own. He encircled us. What a beautiful picture. He cared for us and he guards us as the apple of our eye. If someone's coming for you, if someone punches coming towards you, you will instantly protect yourself, the apple of your eye. We're the apple of God's eye. He cares. He guards us. You know, imagine that you had a young toddler. And let's say that you were um, in a group, maybe a toddler group, and uh, there's lots of noise. There's children making noise everywhere and kind of just the hubbub of it all. And then suddenly you hear this cry. It's your kids. And you recognize it instantly. And immediately he has, this child has your attention. This is your child. You respond. And that's what God is like. He hears our cry. He hears the, his, the cry of his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night. So God, then, is not like the judge, and we are not like the widow because we have an intimate, familial relationship and connection with God who is very attentive to our cry, the cry of our hearts. So, Therefore, when we come to pray to God, we don't actually have to pester God until he finally gives in. We don't have to impress God with our clever prayers or with how zealous we are in our prayers or how loud we shout. We don't have to accumulate prayers until finally it reaches a tipping point and God gives in. I um, used to take my kids to the Aquadrome in Basingstoke. I don't know if any of you have been there, but I don't know if it's still there, but there used to be this palm tree with a monkey, okay, on the palm tree. I remember this so well. And there was a bucket. And uh, this bucket was constantly being filled with a, a, a little fountain of water. And I used to have my son underneath the bucket on my shoulders, and you'd watch this bucket getting filled and filled and filled and eventually it would tip and it would pour all over you. And we could think of prayer a little bit like that, that we just have to kind of keep filling the buckets until eventually God says, OK, I'll give in and tips us with his blessing. We can think of it as like a, a club card point system where we accumulate our prayers to the point where God says, well done, you've earned, you've prayed enough now, you've earned a meal out on me, okay? God is going to hear us in that now that we've done so much praying. And that's not what God is like. He's not deaf, he's not mean, and he is listening to our prayers. I was reminded of the story in uh, 1 Kings 18, when do you remember um, Elijah is on Mount Carmel? Do you remember that story? And there's the prophets of Baal and there's a big pile of woods and there's water gets poured all over the woods and there's an there's a animal to be sacrificed and they want the fire to come. And the prophets of Baal are shouting and dancing uh, to try and get their gods to send fire. And uh, after a whole morning of them dancing around and shouting, Baal, answer us. 
Eventually, at lunchtime, Elijah says to them, shout a bit louder. Surely he's God. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping. Maybe he needs to be awakened. And so it says that they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and until the blood flowed and midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time of the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. And then Elijah stepped forward and said, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Amen. And then the fire fell and burnt up the sacrifice. The the prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective, we're told in James. And we've been made righteous because of Jesus. So our prayers are powerful and effective. When we ask God for things, he's listening. There is never a wasted prayer. Every time it's getting through. Now, I know there's a couple of questions as I, as I just bring this to a practical point um, of application. First of all, does that mean that we should never repeat our prayers, be persistent in our prayers, or cry out in our prayers? But obviously here it says his chosen ones do cry out day and night. And so, yes, of course, we should pray persistently. But it's not so that we can twist a reluctant God or earn prayer points with him. Rather, it's to demonstrate our ongoing trust and faith in God. And it's to hone and shape our prayers so that they become more in tune with God's will. And I found this, that sometimes I prayed for something. Last weekend, I remember going out and having a prayer time. And I was actually praying for one of my children. I was praying a particular thing. And then I suddenly realized I should be praying something different for them. Uh, And and so I ended up praying something different because I realized that what God wants is, you know, this. So we need to sometimes keep praying about something because God needs to adjust our expectations so that they're in line with what he actually wants to do. And that can take a few days, a few weeks, a few months, or even a few years for us to get to the point where we are praying actually what God wants. But our prayers are never wasted. What about unanswered prayer then? And God actually does always hear our prayers, but there are times when he wants us to learn patience. There are times when he wants us to learn to pray. There are times when God has got something better in store for us than the thing that we're actually asking him for. Do you remember how the Apostle Paul says to God, um, take away this thorn? And he prays three times, Lord, take away the thorn. And God says, I've got something much better for you, Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. God's grace is better than taking away the thorn. And so God's got something better there for him. And there are times when we just need to to learn to pray and to be patient in our prayers. And there are times when God wants to give time so that people can repent in his time. So, So when we pray, he's being patient. 
But it doesn't mean he's not going to answer. He's playing the long game. And so I would want to encourage us today to keep praying, as this parable tells us to do, not to give up, not to lose heart, not to end up just going through the motions thinking that he's never going to do anything. No, God is. He's active. He's going to do things. Even when we don't see it, he is working. He's doing things. Every day he is doing things. And he's going to do great things. And there will be times of real breakthrough and real blessing when we'll see the evidence of that. It tells us that he will see that they get justice and quickly. And I think that phrase quickly um, you could think, well, how come it doesn't happen quickly then? Well, I think quickly there are, there's, there's our time scale and then there's God's quickly, okay? A thousand years a day and all that. But I think also this verse can be understood differently, which it means it doesn't mean immediately, it means speedily. In other words, there is a time when God will do it and when he does it, he will do it absolutely, totally and decisively and there'll be no injustice left. He will do it speedily. When it's time, he'll do it speedily. It'll happen. Okay, so it doesn't mean necessarily immediately, but it does mean decisively and speedily when the right time is here. Now, I want to encourage us then today not to give up, but to keep praying, to keep believing, to keep trusting. This passage ends by encouraging us, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? That's a question I'd like us to reflect on in our own hearts as we respond this morning. Will he find faith on the earth? Will he find faith in our hearts, an active, trusting, believing faith that says, Lord, yes, I do trust you. I am believing you for you to fulfill your promises. Will he find faith in our hearts? Will he find faith in us? And uh, he wants us to be those trusting people who know that he is a just judge, who know that he will do all things. He will judge the earth correctly and who know that he is a compassionate and gracious God so that we can cast all our anxiety on him because he cares for us. So can we pray together right now? Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are a loving, attentive father and that you are powerful that you're in control of all things, that you're working things out for good. So this morning we want to repent, Lord, of any uh, unbelief. And we ask you, Lord, that you would help us to grow in faith, that your spirit would fill us that we would be believing you for things. I, I pray for hope to spring up in our hearts, that we find that there is a, a hopefulness in our spirits about what you want to do. And so, Lord, we pray that we would not give up, but that we would keep praying, keep trusting, keep asking, keep believing, keep acting in faith. Lord, I pray for everyone here. pray for anyone who's just kind of grown dull in their spirits, that, Lord, you would ignite in them 
fresh trust and fresh faith. We ask you do amazing things in our lives and do amazing things in our church and in fleet. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, It'd be great if we could just respond, Paul.